Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. We're here to talk all things TCU sports and uh, another jam-packed week uh, for TCU. TCU football gets the victory, uh, sends the cactus people back to the desert uh, with a 34-24 win at home with Fox's big noon Saturday in town um, ahead of going to Austin for number 18 Texas and another college game day game. Uh, we also had some some basketball started in uh, not so great fashion. We'll get into that, uh, talk some recruiting stuff and all of that as well, along with the college football playoff ranking that put TCU at number four in one of those precious playoff spots, uh, if only for this week. So, Russ, how are we doing today? You know, in the spirit of Election Day, I think it's only fair to point out that, uh, you know, not only was there not a red wave in the midterms, there was also not a red <laughs> wave in Fort Worth. Uh, not too go. many tech fans. I was sitting in the 100 section, South Enzo, with my dad. Uh was down for the long weekend, had a great tailgate in the morning with some good buddies of mine from college. And uh, great, great game, obviously a, a grinder of a game, but... Uh, felt good to be back in the Carter. Felt good to see another win. Um, ready to talk about it, and let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you mentioned you were there in person uh, um, amongst the crowd at the Carter. There was obviously a lot of talk all off season about that the takeover and that Texas Tech was going to come come fill the stadium. Um, certainly, walking around didn't didn't seem that way. Did it feel that way? In the stadium, what 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 was the percentage? Was it any more than like a, a normal away crowd, or you know, it, it didn't really did it, feel? it didn't really jump out to me to be quite honest. I mean, we, we had some tech fans in our part of the section. Uh, thankfully, didn't get hit by any tortillas when the game started. But <laughs> uh, to, to be honest, I was looking up at the two hundreds on the east side, the four hundreds on the on the west side, and you know, other than filling out the nosebleeds a little bit, it. It didn't look very red to me. It looked like probably 75, 25, 80, 20 mix. And uh, as far as the noise was concerned, other than that touchdown when Tech went up 17, 13, that was probably about the loudest they got all game. But uh, it, it definitely did not resemble a takeover whatsoever. So uh, a quick shout out to TCU Athletics and ADJD again for um, getting the home fans and getting the purple in the stands and, uh, JD also taking a not so shuttle, not so <laughs> subtle shot at the Red Raider fandom, uh, Viva La Matadors, not too pleased with that, but we move on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we could talk about the actual football on the field a little bit. Uh, so, it was definitely a, a defensive struggle, like much more than anyone would have expected, I think. The, both of these explosive offenses kind of would have projected towards a, a high scoring affair, but, but certainly a, a really um, tough defensive battle. And, and really, I, I don't think it was necessarily poor offensive play across the board. I think really the Texas tech defense very much came to play um, a lot of, a lot of strong guys there um, forcing, forcing, Turnovers on downs and forcing 
TCU to not be able to to score in the red zone. So I guess offensively for for TCU, do, what what happened here? Why was it that TCU was unable to score? Because it felt like TCU was pretty well handling this game, um, long sustained drives, but every time getting down into the scoring zone, something would happen that uh, would prevent the touchdown or uh, en- ends up pushing out a field goal range or or a turnover on downs. Yeah, I think one thing that stood out was the absence of Quentin Johnston. And I, you know, going into the week, going into the game, I honestly wasn't sure that was going to be a big deal or not. You know, he, he was productive in the West Virginia game. He obviously injured the ankle. And from, from what I had read, from what I had seen, there was nothing going into the game where you felt like, okay, maybe he's not going to play. Obviously he dressed and, uh, you know, went through warmups and I had seen him on a, a couple timeouts trying to warm up, trying to go. But uh, I believe Sonny Dykes talked after the game about how he just didn't quite feel a hundred percent. And the coaches I'm sure with Texas coming up and then Baylor and then Iowa state, a real physical team, uh, not wanting to risk uh re-injury of that ankle and missing him for even more time. So I felt coming out right away, TCU played a fairly conservative game plan offensively. I felt like they ran the ball a lot on early downs. You saw a lot more quarterback draws with Max Duggan. And Texas Tech, I think, honestly deserves some credit for the way they came out up front defensively and forced TCU, who... You know, Kendra Miller, again, is averaging over six yards a carry this season. Frogs have had a lot of second and three, third and two situations where the playbook is kind of wide open. You know, you can hit Quentin Johnston for a quick slant route, or you can run the football or take a deep shot. In this game, though, it was a lot of second and nine, a lot of third and nine, third and eight, where Texas Tech was able to kind of pin their ears back up front and generate some pass rush. Number 19, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. He had an awesome game for them coming off the edge. And uh, Max, I Yeah, Tyree Wilson. Yeah, he had a nice game for them. They were putting quite a bit of pressure on Max. And, uh, you, you know, I think the combination of wanting to protect the football, try and bleed the clock a little bit, don't make any mistakes – uh, Texas Tech kind of answered the call in the first half and was winning that that field position battle where TCU was having to punt and start drives inside their own 20. Texas Tech, meanwhile, was starting a lot of their drives closer to midfield, uh, working with a short field, which obviously that kind of flipped in the second half. But, uh, you know, getting back to your original question, I think the absence of Quentin Johnston uh, being a little more conservative offensively. And then when they did get into those red zone situations and some of those short yardage, um, not really going after some of the big body targets they have. You know, Savion Williams had a huge play in the first quarter, that 38-yard leaping catch down the sideline. He wasn't really a factor outside of that in this game. Uh, Jared Wiley, for the second week in a row, didn't have a catch. I don't think he had a target in this game. And even with Quentin Johnston out, I know you want to lean on your next best skill player. And that's Kenray Miller. And he got a healthy workload, 21 carries well over a hundred yards. But I really would like to see the frogs continue to be aggressive with some of these bigger bodied 
receivers and tight ends where you can give them opportunities in one-on-one scenarios against smaller defensive backs and linebackers, run a little play action, run some fake zone reads. Uh, Savion Williams had a back corner fade in the second half that drew a PI flag. And we're, we're sitting in the, in the Southeast end zone and I'm seeing Savion Williams line up outside. They have inside slot receivers with them. I'm thinking maybe they'll run one over the middle, give them an opportunity to go up and get one. And we're like, Hey, Come hang out at the crib with us. Come join us in the end zone. But uh, that was a little discouraging to see. I hope that's something that the Frogs can look at as they go into this game coming up and just try and give some of those guys with that elite size and length some opportunities. Yeah, definitely seemed like Savion could have had some mismatches there because he he certainly physically was was outmatching uh, some of those smaller corners from Texas Tech that um, you saw it on that pass interference penalty that I think that that defensive back was so upset about that call he like couldn't be contained on the sideline the coaches were having to hold him back and uh, you know I think uh, yeah Spivey didn't have a catch um, Jordan Hudson with one catch um, nothing from the tight ends yeah really really kind of tough day across the board in the absence of Quentin Johnston. And it, it it's kind of that trickle down effect of, of the better defenders get to guard, you know, the number two, number three and down the line. So uh, definitely hoping that QJ is back for next week in the key matchup. I think you mentioned it about passes to the tall receivers. I think this was the first game where Blair Conright was, um, a more frequent target. I, I'm not even sure. I think he had one catch going into the game all season. Um, he ended up only with one catch in this game, but he was he was a big part of uh, the routes being run. And there there were a few where he was pretty open, and Max missed him high. Where certainly, if that's QJ or even if it's Savion or, or Spivey or somebody like that. Uh, it's probably a catch, and, and Conright wasn't able to come down with those. Um, it, it seemed like Max was maybe a little bit off his rhythm, uh, a little bit off um, in that way, and maybe that's, uh, again, a result of having uh, superstar talent like Quentin Johnston not on the field. Um, you also mentioned, oh, shoot, now I just lost his name as well, Tyree. Tyree Wilson. Uh, Wilson. Tyree Wilson. Man, that guy is a legit star um, on the defensive edge. I think, you know, we had we had seen some of him through this season. Expected him to to be a problem in this game, but man, he he really ate up the the TCU offensive line, ate up uh, a lot of the things that they were trying to do up front um, from the frogs on that that fourth and short where uh, where Kendra Miller gets stuffed. You know, I think that's kind of a, a play calling problem there where um, they've got two backs in the backfield and you're basically asking Trent Battle, a converted quarterback, uh, you know, smaller running back to make a block on this future NFL player. Um, that's that's the key to making to picking up that first down on, on fourth and short. And that's a that's a big ask. I, I, I don't know that um battle made a bad play there i think that's just a that's just a really tough ask for for a player like that um in that situation and and 
it it cost the frogs points in in that occasion and uh i think you know we've there's been plenty that has been said about the TCU offensive line's improvement but i think still when there is an elite edge rush talent um that's a struggle for for this unit and and it certainly showed itself on saturday um we saw it a little bit in the Kansas State game earlier and and we'll see how that that looks going forward um but it it put max into bad positions where he's he's throwing on the run he's throwing with uh with bodies all around him with hands in his face um some of those throws that he's been making all season uh weren't able to come through and i think that's that's a lot of credit to to Texas Tech for for forcing into those situations um looking into the second half i think uh really this was this was such kind of a a slow burn of a game we really don't get into much too terribly interesting until uh Texas Tech's go ahead drive there late in the third quarter uh, you know if if you have something else stop me there or we can go back to it but i think that's really where this game kind of opened up and it was a it was a really poor drive from from TCU's defense where uh had two opportunities to get off the field on fourth down and and couldn't and that's part of the this Texas Tech's uh, new coaching staff kind of philosophy of setting up fourth and short and give yourself a chance to to go for it. And you know, I think uh, Coach McGuire got criticized a little bit uh, later in the game as attempting those fourth down conversions and they weren't coming through. Um, but you know, this if if that's the way you're going to play, that's that's the way you play. I mean, if you're a person who Hits on sixteen in blackjack. Don't don't stop hitting on on sixteen against yeah that kind of thing. So do what you're gonna do, and it, and it was working here on that drive, and uh, things really broke out when when D Winters went out with the targeting penalty, and I think a relatively clear targeting call. Um, no, it's it's always fair to argue, but I think I think it's clear targeting probably completely unnecessary from winters there it's a it's a tough play because the, the receiver coming across the middle kind of falling to the ground but one that that you need to to avoid and immediately texas tech took advantage of it um you know little running backs leaking out of the out of the backfield picks up the fourth down um and then it leads to to the big touchdown pass where um, you know, frankly, Mark Perry lined up one-on-one on a big wide receiver, um, and the receiver makes the play. It's, it's probably not a situation that you want to put Perry in. You, that's, that's not the guy you want, um, taking on a receiver. They kind of had the receivers stacked out there and might've been a little bit of mis- miscommunication. I'm not sure, but it was definitely a, a strong play from Texas Tech there and, um, gave Tech the lead headed into the fourth quarter and I guess how, how nervous were you and, and what did you see from the TCU defense kind of going into that, that, that maybe had us on edge? I'll be honest. I wasn't nervous at all. Um, at halftime with, with TCU up 13 to 10, I wasn't nervous at all because I felt defensively, this was from start to finish one of TCU's best games this season. And 
to Tech's credit, a couple things I felt they did well, even though they didn't get too much inside the tackle box, they did run the ball pretty well off tackle. Uh, they also got into some tempo, and that's how they scored their first touchdown when they were able to get those short yardage gains on uh, some quick slants and quick out routes and uh, a, a six-yard gain on the ground on first down or second down, and then they get up to the line quickly, they take a deep, uh, deep shot, um, and that's how they kind of that's how they got their touchdown in the third quarter. Is they just the the opportunities where Tech had to get into tempo, they took advantage and were able to execute, and they went after the corners. You know, given Trey Tomlinson is I believe five nine. I'm not sure how much bigger Josh Newton is. I think Tech maybe felt they could take some shots down the field against some uh, smaller corners for TCU. But uh, third quarter, honestly, even after Tech scored on that drive and D Winters gets called for targeting, Tech starts out three for three in the game on fourth down. That was also an area where they uh, obviously did very well with Donovan Smith, some design runs for him to pick up some short yardage. But I wasn't really all that nervous. I felt that if TCU were, was able to come back and sustain a drive and score going into the fourth quarter, then we would have a ball game. And uh was pretty excited that they were coming back into the south end zone to score that touchdown to take the lead. But it, it was really the, the Kendra Miller long run where he's able to keep his balance. He breaks through the line, uh, keeps his balance, picks up 30-plus yards. And then before that, I believe, you had the – uh, face mask, no face mask play. Yeah. Uh, the, the phantom call that, from my angle in the stands, I thought that was a face mask call. I think we, we all yelled when that play happened, and then you see it on the replay, like, oh, shoot. Uh, never mind. <laughs> but, yeah. you, you know, I think the, the Frogs dominated the, for, the fourth quarter of this game. And I think that's what, uh, what stood out to me when we kind of reflected on the game was, uh, for the first time, TCU was beginning to flip field position, and we talked about how Tech was starting a lot of drives in the first half in favorable field position. Um, TCU being able to score and take a three-point lead early in the fourth quarter, and to come out and get a stop on fourth down right after that was a huge turning point. Um, and TCU beginning to play with some confidence, they start pushing the, the ball down the field a little bit. Kendra Miller's finding some holes. Darius Davis uh, runs a route over the middle to score a touchdown. Now you're up 27-17. And it really kind of it, – it snowballed pretty quickly. Uh, the Tech fans in our it went Yeah, it went, from, it went from uh, a little bit on edge, a little bit like, oh, no, oh, no, to over. Like it, it went from a little bit nervous to just, okay, well – Let's just get out of here. Let's let's run this clock out and, and be done here. Yeah. Uh, really fast in the fourth quarter. I mean, yeah, you go touchdown, turnover on downs, touchdown, turnover on downs, touchdown, interception. Um, that's uh, that'll flip the game really fast to to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, TCU, and again, it was the the defense was able to uh, cover well down the field. They didn't get too much pressure. Uh, to be quite honest, until very late in the game. I think Shad Banks had a sack filling in for uh, D. Winters, and he's going to play a huge role coming up against Texas. He's going to start that game because D. Winters will have to miss the first half. But, yeah, Tech was starting in 
the same kind of field position that TCU had earlier in the game. And, uh, you know, the first time Tech went for it on fourth down and failed to convert, I didn't mind that they went for it there. I know you, you brought it up. It's kind of their identity. They'll go for it in those situations. But uh, the second time, I didn't like it so much because I look at it from their standpoint. Your defense has just given up consecutive touchdowns. You've gone from being up three to down 10. You're playing on the road. Uh, you're risking giving TCU the ball in your own territory if you don't get it here. And and maybe it's a situation where you feel like the game is on the line. If we don't get it here, we lose anyway. But I felt like if Tech would have punted there and forced TCU to try and go down the field one last time to sustain a long drive, maybe things would have been a little different. But uh, they, they finished the game three for six, which means they failed to convert on their last three fourth downs. And, and it was just touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Amari DiMercato runs a, a real nice wheel route out of the back field. 16-yard uh, touchdown, I believe, and it's 34-17. Uh, defense just starts coming after Tyler Shaw at the very end of the game. It was almost reminiscent of Bo Wallace in the Ole Miss TCU Beach Bowl game where it's like he's got, a, he's got one or two defenders running after him on every snap and throws it up for grabs. Trey Tomlinson gets the interception, and then that's, you know, that's basically the game there. Um, a little disappointed with how the game ended. Would have really liked to see the Frogs punch it in one more time. Um, and and I brought it up early. I'll bring it up again. Amani Bailey comes in, gets, I think, four or five carries in a row. And then you have the ball inside Tech's 10-yard line. It's fourth down. Probably everybody in the building thinks you're going to run the ball because you're just trying to bleed clock at this point. You have the lead. Let's not do something stupid. Why not draw up some kind of a play action there? You know, get get Jared Wiley faking on a down block and have him roll over the middle for just a short little pass to, to score a touchdown or, or keep the chains moving. Um, just, just something that I hope TCU offensively evaluates moving forward is just getting a little more aggressive and more creative in some of those, uh, I guess, obvious running situations. And then defensively uh, kind of rolling over and showing their belly at the very end of the fourth quarter was, was discouraging. But uh, the grand takeaway I think is TCU outscored tech 21 to seven in the fourth quarter. And that was really the, the story of the game. Um, and at this point in the season, Nine and zero, and with three really tough games coming up, and given how things are beginning to play out on the national level with some of these high-ranked teams, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. Just win games how you can at this point. Um, players have talked about it in media availability before how they they want to feel like they play a full four quarters, and to this point in the season, they still don't feel like they've played four full quarters, and. I would agree with that, and I've brought it up before and agreed with it before, but, um, you know, overall, again, some of the themes, I think, that have that have stood out that were, uh, that were relevant in this game were just not making self-inflicted mistakes, not turning the ball over, and leaning on uh, your, your leading skill players to be able to kind of carry the load, and, and that's what Kendrick Miller did. Max didn't turn the ball over, and uh, a dominant fourth quarter. 
to, to close it out. For sure. And, and talking about how things are looking nationally and things are looking in the Big 12 race as well, um, TCU still needs one more win to be able to, to lock up a spot in the Big 12 championship game. Um, it was in the Big 12, it was a week of all the teams ahead still yet to play for TCU, uh, got wins. So it, it'll be, it's good for the future, um, strength of schedule, but, um, maybe not as good for, for, what's already happened the wins that TCU had already gotten. So uh, Baylor gets the win over Oklahoma, Texas took down Kansas state and Iowa state won as well. But, but Baylor and Texas now the TCU's next two opponents are both very much still in the race uh, for the conference championship game, each with an opportunity to, to take down the frogs and, and move themselves up in the conference standings as well. Um, and I think it's it's a tough thing on the national scale there because Oklahoma State's completely fallen off the map, um, getting blown out by Kansas. Um, Oklahoma losing to Baylor, they they kind of have canceled themselves out. Baylor has not yet done enough to get back into the rankings, but I, I think they're really close, and maybe a win this week does it. Um, Kansas as well has not been able to, to climb back up into the rankings. So, uh, it, you know... I think we're we're approaching a, a tough spot where although all of the teams in the Big 12 have performed very strong through the season, um, we could be getting close to where if TCU takes down Texas, it's possible Texas falls out of, you know, there, there'll be four losses. I mean, that's, that's not the strongest resume there either. Um, you know, I think it'll probably point to TCU just has to keep winning. Uh, and, and that's what's required. And, and we already, we know this to be the truth, but, um, I guess just all, in, in the big 12 race, anything stand out to you from this past week or as we go ahead into the stretch run? You know, like you said, I think it's pretty much a four horse race at this point between TCU, Baylor, Texas, and Kansas state for those two spots. And, uh, watching the Texas, Kansas state game. And of course we're going to talk about Texas in a little bit, uh, a little surprised that the Wildcats went back to Adrian Martinez in this game. Uh, obviously, it's great that he's back healthy, but just seeing how Will Howard had played, I was a little surprised that they changed quarterbacks there. And falling behind 31-10 to 10 in the first half, uh, I feel like was kind of an indictment of that decision. And, you know, Adrian Martinez, to his credit, uh, made some good throws in the second half, helped bring... Kansas State back in that game, but uh, burped up the rock at the very end on the final drive, and that was all she wrote for for Kansas State. But uh, you talk about two games that are going to have huge Big 12 ramifications. I mean, Baylor playing Kansas State and TCU Texas, the four teams that are vying for those two spots are going to be playing in two head-to-head matchups this weekend. And obviously the Frogs being two games ahead, uh, I I believe they clinch a, a a spot with a win over Texas. So just one win, any one win and the frogs are correct. So I think the the frogs obviously have the most margin for error. Uh, Not that that's something to be uh, complacent about or something to fall back on, but uh, it's going to be a mad scramble uh, down the stretch here. Baylor, it seems like 
regardless of who they plug in at running back, they get a huge level of production. Uh, Kansas State, I feel like you can't count them out just because they've played a lot of good football this year. And then uh, Texas, who we're about to talk about with Bijan Robinson carrying a huge load and getting Quinn Ewers back healthy, it's it's going to be a dogfight for for those two spots. And at this point, I, I of course I'm going to say TCU. I think is going to wind up in one of those two spots. But who that other team is, I I don't know at this point. We might need another a week or two for for me to to really have a favorite there. Yeah, Baylor's playing excellent football right now. Um, Texas is is obviously very strong as well, and Kansas State is reeling a little bit, but uh, certainly could bounce right back and and be just as much in the thick of it um, headed into the final couple of weeks. Um, so college football playoff second week was announced on Tuesday night and the TCU Horn Frogs made it to number four. Uh, one of the, the big graphics on, on the show where TCU is in a playoff spot right now. And, you know, just as, as much as last week was meaningless and, uh, has no merit to anything, how things are going to shake out for the future. Uh, and, and we all felt a little bit slighted with where TCU was now TCU getting respect equally as meaningless. Um, you know, I think it's uh, the one thing that is interesting to see, um, in, in my mind is that Tennessee or Tennessee was moved below TCU. Um, with its loss to Georgia. And I think um, maybe it's a little bit of a testament that the committee actually watched that game because, you know, the score wasn't too terribly bad, but but Tennessee was quite clearly um, not as good as Georgia, which nobody's as good as Georgia. Yeah. But, um, you know, they the Vols got that opportunity and, and couldn't capitalize in the way that they were able to at LSU and, and against Alabama. Um, so to me, that was the most interesting thing that I, I really, you know, all of our history with this committee, with committees ever for TCU would have said that, uh, TCU would have been behind Tennessee despite the loss there. So, um, you know, I think in my mind, that's, that's a little bit of a sign of respect. It's a little bit of a, you know, recognition of the resume that TCU has played thus far. Um, but it may just be hey, let's just put them here. We think they're going to lose eventually. It doesn't matter. Just put them here. Let them shut up for a couple weeks, and then we can move on. Um, I don't know. How would you feel seeing TCU in one of those playoff slots? Yeah, I think I had sarcastically said on the podcast last week that whoever loses Georgia-Tennessee is going to be ranked ahead of TCU next week, so let's not worry about it. But Yeah, I would have. I believed it. I didn't think that was sarcastic yeah, at all. I, I think that were asking, I'm shocked. People were asking me, and I'm like, I'm, I think – I thought we were going to be number five. That was my guess going into it that we were going to be number five. But uh, it is it is exciting to see the, the Frogs get a little bit of respect from the committee. Now, uh, Clemson played a terrible football game against Notre Dame. Uh, like you said, the score in Georgia-Tennessee may not look like a huge blowout, but the Dogs took the balls to the pound and gave them a beat down in that game. And, and then for Alabama... Uh, I watched the end of that game. Such an exciting finish. Uh, super, Thriller. Uh, super happy for LSU in, in the home stadium to be able to win that game. And the, the stones on Brian Kelly 
to go for two there to knock off Nick Saban. Um, the Frogs got some help, but I think the Frogs deserve to be in the top four. I felt they deserved to be in the top four last week. And now, I mean, again, not trying to get too ahead of myself, and, and we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves, but should TCU win against a ranked Texas team that went up six spots to number 18 overall, there's an argument to be made that TCU would be the number two team in the country. I think TCU already has a better resume than Ohio State and Michigan uh, before this game. And if the Frogs can win this game, I don't think it matters how they win it. If it's by 100 points or one point, um, I would pound the table for TCU to be number two. But that'll be uh, resolved on Saturday, and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that one. Yeah, I mean, again, another week in the Big Ten where uh, coming up where Michigan and Ohio State both play nobodies. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, certainly, TCU is going to have to keep winning. Um, the the Pac-12 teams behind the Frogs keep creeping up. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you start to get a little bit nervous about Oregon if their only loss is week one to to this Georgia team, maybe that. The committee clearly has a lot of respect for that team. Um, you know, USC, UCLA as well. So I think if the if the Pac-12 ends up with a one-loss uh, conference champion, that that certainly will carry a lot of weight as well. Um, you know, I it's hard it's hard to take too much from this. So we can probably just move on from it. But it's it's fun to see the frogs up there. Um, we'll see how things continue. I think, I think there is just continues to be a national narrative of eventually TCU will lose and then we'll figure it out from there. Um, so hopefully TCU just makes it so nobody ever has to make a decision there that they just roll the frogs right into the playoff. Um, I do uh, want to note though one thing that maybe feels felt a little bit i don't know kind of serendipitous about the the lsu play um it's basically the exact same play in 2014 that notre dame's that brian kelly's notre dame used on a two-point conversion to what would have beat florida state Mm. they ran the play play was complete caught in the end zone and they throw a flag on it for like a pick play, an offensive pass interference. Um, and if that play had stood, perhaps TCU was playing in the playoff that year. Um, Florida State obviously ended up going undefeated and making the playoff, losing to Oregon. Um, but, you know, it's the kind of thing of that's. I don't know. You know, otherwise, does Alabama, you know, is Alabama going to lose another game? Probably not. Maybe. I mean, they've got a tough one this week, but I think those are the kind of plays that, you know, goes one way or another and it, the, the butterfly effect of how many seasons it impacts. So um, it's good to see some of these teams already in, in this week clear a little bit of a path. Um, the path is a little bit cleaner for TCU, at least to say, 
with a little more confidence that if you do win all your games, you get in the playoff, which, yes, that is looking far too far ahead. So let's move on to looking just a few days ahead uh, to the Texas Longhorns in Austin, Texas. College game day will be there for the second time this season and also for the second time at an away Horn Frog game. And it's the ABC primetime game, 6.30 p.m., it's it's the game of the week. It's it's a huge matchup, number four versus number eighteen, and TCU not favored. the The higher seed, the 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 better seed, the undefeated team is a touchdown underdog on the road um, at Texas. I think I, I can I can see I understand the reasoning behind it. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunity for for Texas to to take advantage of some things against the frogs but i guess russ what what is it that you're most looking for uh the keys to the game for TCU yeah i think for for Texas expect a heavy dose of Bijan Robinson with a sprinkle of Roshan Johnson uh the run game has been real explosive and and very potent for Texas over these last few weeks. Obviously, Quinn Ewers is back healthy. Frankly, didn't play well at all against Oklahoma State. Had a better game last week, but it's kind of clear right now that uh, priority one is establishing the ground game with with Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. So uh, for TCU, a, a team that I feel has defended the run pretty well in between the tackles, but has struggled when they get out to the perimeter. I feel like this will be a test of that interior, especially with D winters out uh, in the first half. Can this team, this front six uh, be strong enough in the trenches to get some early down stops and force Quinn Ewers into some obvious passing situations, similar to how uh, Texas tech, set the frogs and Max Duggan up for some uh, third and long, second and long type scenarios just this past week. So uh, that's one thing that I'm looking for in this game. And then uh, as far as just narratives go throughout the week and and into Saturday, haven't really heard much about Gary Patterson. Um, I'm sure that's going to be something that'll be brought up on, on Saturday. Uh, But interesting to see, uh, what the comments are about that and, and how much of a role Patterson plays in, in uh, lending a hand to this, to this Texas defense. And, you know, for what it's worth, you mentioned that the Frogs are seven-point underdogs. Um, Tex- uh, TCU, I believe, is seven and three in the Big 12 against Texas. And the Frogs, I believe, are also seven and one on game day events. I could be wrong about that. I believe those numbers are correct. That's correct. Uh, for for what it's worth, I'm sure Vegas doesn't consider those things, but it, it's going to be a a huge game for both teams. Obviously, TCU being on the national stage now, but for Texas, you have uh, recruits flipping from Oklahoma and possibly Texas A&M. You're going to have some big time prospects on campus for that game. Of course, fighting for a spot in the Big 12 championship with three losses, possibly. Uh, a New Year's Six bowl appearance, depending on if they can continue to string together some wins here. So uh, the Frogs, I feel, 
in Austin have fared pretty well. And I think the Frogs are going to come in with quite a bit of juice for this game. I really like that the Frogs are underdogs. Um, I even heard some people tell me, oh, I wish they weren't ranked number four uh, going into the week because now people are going to think of them as a playoff team. But Sonny Dykes, he's been on ESPN multiple times in recent weeks, and he says all the right things. I mean, the players, the team, they don't talk about the playoff rankings. They don't talk about hypotheticals. What happens if we win this game and this team loses that game? They just try to come out on a week-to-week basis and and take care of business. So I I don't think the Frogs are going to come in uh, with too much on their mind. And, you know, one last thing before I throw it back to you is we've talked about the Frogs having some slow starts and then having to come back and put together some really solid second halves in in these last few games. Texas is kind of the opposite. I feel Texas is a team that has started off really strong. You look at Kansas State uh, and a few other games earlier in the season. They they start fast, and then they kind of flounder down the stretch. So you have a a contrast in, I guess, identities and how these teams have started and finished games. So um, I think ultimately it's going to set up for a – Last-minute finish, uh, possibly similar to the Kansas game earlier this year, but it's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to watching it, and uh, a lot at stake for both teams. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, I think for me, the the thing that's it's probably very obvious and easy, but the thing that's scariest about Texas is Bijan Robinson, and the scariest that that only gets scarier with. D Winters sidelined for the first half. I think that will uh, give an opportunity for Texas to have that fast start, but maybe have it be uh, give them an opportunity to take such a large lead that that TCU can't claw back to it. Um, you know, I I think we've certainly seen TCU's linebackers and safety core attempt to to guard running backs out of the backfield or uh, running backs and slot receivers across the middle. And it's, it's yielded pretty successful results for opposing offenses. And uh, there's, you know, not many better than, than Bijan Robinson at, at taking advantage of any sliver of space, any uh, attempted arm tackle and, and he'll definitely make you pay for it. So, um, no question that he is, is a frightening prospect to see on the other side. And, and Roshan Johnson is no slouch behind him either. He's, he certainly capable of, of gaining yards as well. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm somewhat less concerned as I w- would have been coming into the season about Quinn Ewers. Um, and, and maybe this becomes his breakout game where he shows everybody why he's the, he's the you know, greatest recruit of all time. Um, but he hasn't, he hasn't shown that yet. Um, so unless you count that, that first half against Alabama, I suppose that maybe, maybe that's where it was and, and maybe he brings it back here. Um, but it's, I I think that offense will run through Bijan and, uh, if, if the frogs are able to bottle him up, at least limit the damage, um, similar to, you know, Deuce Vaughn, 
against TCU was it, it is a similar in the way that that offense does run through him, especially we would have thought with I guess with Will Howard coming in, but uh, you know, Deuce he got loose for a long touchdown run. He picked up several first downs on on pass plays out of the backfield. Um, but ultimately his his overall impact was somewhat muted as uh I don't know if it was game script or the the coaching staff started calling, you know, different kinds of plays, but um that that's what it's gonna have to take is is some way to, to get Bijan um to, to not be such a focus of the offense. And uh, you know, their their rest of their skill talent, the pass catchers also very strong. I mean, Xavier Worthy, Sanders, um, all those guys. They're obviously everyone knows that Texas has the stars, they have the talent. Um, you know, the the recruiting rankings will continue to to keep them uh, above everyone else, um, save for three or few other teams nationally. And it's about how they execute on the field and how that coaching staff puts them in the right positions. And, and we'll see what they're able to do. I think there has been, uh, you know, some made about Gary Patterson's impact on, on this team in general, uh, which which I think is probably fair, but his impact for this game, I, I'm not totally sure what what it'll mean. I think it'll mean some some emotions will run high. There'll be some, you know, uh, nice embrace before the game with some of the players, maybe. Um, but when it comes to to time on the field, I, I'm not sure that that Gary Patterson provides a huge impact to Texas in this game. Um, I'm trying to decide how like how I feel about it. I mean, you know, we we have lots to thank Gary for and as TCU fans that that he he did a lot for the program. So, you know, I I want him to go and prosper. I wish it wasn't at Texas. Um that's that's unfortunate. I don't want him prospering this week. And and you know, my my little bit of of pettiness here is we do know what a Sonny Dykes offense and a Riley offense can do to a Gary Patterson defense. Mm-hmm. And it's not good for the defense. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do think that the TCU offense will have plenty to say in this game. Um, and I do think a lot of it comes down to how healthy Quentin Johnston is. Um, you, you, We saw it like we talked about in the Texas Tech game, you can't just take a, a man of that talent off the field and, and be able to pick right back up. So um, hoping that he's at least close to full strength and and able to provide a boost to that TCU offense. Yeah, like Stacy King says, I'm a Bulls fan. I brought it up before. I'll bring it up again. Big-time players make big-time plays. Um Tay Barber had some nice catches to extend drives in the Tech game. He's done that all season. Darius Davis has stepped up on offense and on special teams. He did it against Texas Tech. He's done it all season. But, again, I feel like this is a game where I personally think Quentin Johnson's going to play. Just based off of what Sonny Dykes has said during media, even though he did not practice on Tuesday, he did practice today, uh, and they're going to kind of evaluate – uh, where he's at health-wise, 
And then Travis Hodges Tomlinson said he's looking forward to having him back on the field. So I, I, my gut is he's going to play. Is he going to be restricted in what he can do? I don't know. I mean, is he able to cut on that ankle? Is he just going to be a go-route threat in this game? Is he going to be a decoy? There are options on the table. But regardless, uh, one thing Sonny Dykes also said after the Tech game was he wished that they were more aggressive in certain spots. And I think what that goes back to is wanting to minimize risk and avoid turning the ball over is one thing, but I you can't get too – in a game like this, I don't feel like you can get too conservative. I think you're going to have to trust that some of your players, like, again, Savion Williams, Jared Wiley, Joquarius Spivey, they're, you're going to have to trust them to make plays in these kinds of games. Uh, Savion Williams has caught multiple touchdowns on jump balls. We know Jared Wiley is effective in the red zone. Find ways to manufacture targets for them. Find ways to take, aval- take advantage of their size, their strength, and their, their catch radius so that you're not only putting all your eggs in the baskets of a couple guys. So... Uh, that, that's going to be something I want to see in this game is, is who other than Quentin Johnston and, and if, even if Quentin Johnston has to go out of the game for some reason, who's, who can step up on the outside and who could step up in the red zone so that the frogs aren't continuing to settle for, for field goals. And to, to Griffin Kell's credit, he's having a great season, uh, again, had a really solid game against Texas tech, but in this conference and in this kind of game, you're not trying to settle for three. You're going for six. So it uh, should be a, a really exciting game. I'm expecting it to go down to the finish, like I said before, and uh, uh, summoning a prayer circle for, for Quentin Johnston's ankle as we speak. Yeah, I think there uh, saw several on Twitter like, please take my ankles. I don't need them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, get well soon. Um, yeah, I think just jumping into the predictions, like we said, seven point favorite, the, the Texas Longhorns with a total of 64 and a half. So, uh, a a lot of love given to the Longhorns here. My prediction on this, I'm going the other way. I have TCU 42, Texas 30. Um, I'm, I'm seeing points here. I'm seeing a, a close game down towards like the last five minutes or so where uh, TCU punches one in and then gets a stop and, and we see the victory formation um, and, and TCU gets a a two-score victory on the road over a ranked opponent um, that solidifies its status as a, a deserving, undefeated um staying in position to to have everything in front of it for the season. So I'm seeing a a big game from the Frogs. I went a little bold last week. I think I predicted a 20-plus point win against Tech. Didn't shake out that way. I'm going to be a little conservative this week simply because of the status of Quinton Johnston and the struggles that TCU has had in the red zone. Uh, However, one thing I will point out is Texas has struggled – in terms of its past defense over the last couple of games, giving up quite a few yards to Adrian Martinez. 
given up nearly 400 passing yards in the Oklahoma State game. I think this is a secondary that could be vulnerable. Uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna say that Max Duggan makes some huge throws in this game. And 34-31 TCU is my final score prediction uh, to move to 10-0. and And we'll be rambling about the playoff rankings next week uh, when the Frogs are still below Michigan and Ohio State for inexplicable (laughs) reasons. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait to uh, to be mad about that. That sounds wonderful. That's the best kind of mad to be um, is is undefeated mad. Um, All right. So elsewhere in the Big 12 this coming weekend. you know, we talked about it. There's really only it's down to the this game between TCU and Texas, and then the other headliner is Kansas State at Baylor. Um, it in to to continue to keep pace uh, for the Big Twelve championship. Baylor is a two and a half point favorite at home, and I I you know I I really think both of these are these are really strong football teams, but I think. Baylor's just playing at a very high level right now. Um, they're they're figuring out ways to get it done. Uh, that that rushing attack ha- has been superb. I think Baylor wins and covers easily uh, over the, the the two and a half spread and at home and sets up uh, just a a massive matchup with the Frogs next week in Waco. That. Um, you know, even if TCU were to drop this week, it's still a huge matchup. It it may that makes it even bigger for the Big Twelve race next week. Um, and it, yeah, I, I'm I'm taking the Bears at home. This is kind of a coin flip for me, honestly. But I'm going to pick Baylor for the sole reason of I want Baylor ranked and playing with a lot of confidence at home next week. So the Frogs come in and ruin their season the way they ruined their season last year. Uh, so I'm going to take Baylor to win this game and, and enter the top 25 going into next week. All right. So that's, that's really the only big game. Let's see. We've also got Oklahoma at West Virginia. Um, this game, West Virginia has to win out to get bowl eligible. Um I don't. I don't think it happens. I think Oklahoma takes it here pretty handily, even though the game's on the road, um, and that that puts Oklahoma into bowl eligible ca- category. And you know, we heard the playoff com- uh, committee chair Boo Corrigan mention about uh, you know wins over above five hundred teams as a, a feather in the cap for TCU. So you know for for what it's worth, for what those words from any committee chair are worth at all, um, you know, you probably do want Oklahoma to to win a couple games. You want Oklahoma State to win a couple games. You want Kansas to win a couple games. You know, maybe if if Texas Tech wins two, they can get to bowl eligibility. So, you know, that's that's kind of that's really how we're looking at these now because a lot of these teams outside of those top four are are out of the conference race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to take Oklahoma to win this game. I'm expecting a bounce back performance from Dylan Gabriel. He struggled in that Baylor game throwing three interceptions and uh the the rails are kind of the the wheels are kind of 
fallen off the rail car for for West Virginia. JT Daniels uh, against Iowa State had a, a frankly brutal performance. I think he was eight for twenty-two passing for under a hundred yards and a pick. So uh, that team is really struggling right now. Uh, probably doomed for worse things as uh, the season continues to kind of unravel here. But I, I, I agree with what you said. It would be nice for Oklahoma to to continue to stay above 500, um, as Boo Corrigan did say that uh, they, they value those wins over team wins over teams with records above 500. Uh, but this is the same Boo Corrigan that also uh, criticized TCU for having to rally and then talked about a week later uh, performing well in the second half in the defense. So uh, they, they're practically saying whatever they, they feel in that moment. Um, but regardless, I pick Oklahoma. I think the, the Sooners are going to bounce back. All right, quick on the other game. So we've got Iowa State is a one-point favorite at Oklahoma State. I guess this is a projection that Oklahoma State is, has fully just packed it in, and maybe Spencer Sanders is still out. Maybe all of those injuries on their defense are still ravaging them, and uh, and, and the Cowboys have already you know made their plans for, for other things in the offseason. Um I don't know that that's the case. I kind of think Oklahoma State in front of their home crowd, um, you know, maybe maybe there's not everything to play for anymore, but um, I, I, I think that that team is is still talented and and well coached and will come out and go take a win from the Cyclones there in Stillwater. Yeah, shout out to Iowa State just for getting on the board, uh, no longer winless in the conference. Uh, I sure <laughs> felt good for, for Matt Campbell and his staff to get that win, uh, even if it was against West Virginia. But they've been in so many close games and just for one reason or the other, you know, like I brought up in the past, they're the Chicago Bears of the Big 12. They invent ways to lose games. But uh, I think for Oklahoma State, this is kind of a, a test of your character as a football program. I mean – you're kind of in a brief free fall here and you have all kinds of injuries, but you know, Kansas is a good team. You beat Texas. Who's a good team. You got dominated by a really good Kansas state team. You still have quite a bit to play for, like you said. Um, So whoever they have at quarterback, whoever's out there, you're, you're playing at home against the second worst team in the conference this is literally – we've brought up must-win games before. Like, oh, this is a must-win. This I legitimately think is a must-win for Oklahoma State. If they lose this game to Iowa State, they might as well just pack it in and see what, what they could get out of some of these younger players. But I don't think that will happen. I think the Cowboys will bounce back. And then the evening ESPN Plus game is Kansas in Lubbock against the Red Raiders, Texas Tech three and a half point favorites over the Jayhawks. Um, I think this is actually going to be a pretty interesting, fun game. I, you know, if it weren't going on at the same time as TCU, Texas, I think it'd be a fun one to kind of just sit back and enjoy. I think there's a lot of interesting things that could happen in that game. Um, and seeing what, I think 
perhaps Texas Tech expended its season's worth of energy in this past weekend attempting to take down the Frogs. I think it's possible Kansas can come in and take advantage of that. Um, that said, I I do think Texas Tech is a, a better team than Kansas. Um, whomever is playing at quarterback for either team. Um, so I'll I'll take the Red Raiders here. I'm going to take Kansas in this game, and part of me wants to just pick Kansas for every game down the stretch just because <laughs> I I like Kansas's energy. They have good energy. Um, I could see this being a shootout for sure, uh, almost re- reminiscent of Kansas-West Virginia earlier in the season because I don't think either of these teams uh, – can really play a whole lot of defense. Uh, but I, but I like Kansas and I just, I've brought it up before. I'll bring it up again. I, I enjoy seeing Kansas play good football and, and have success. And uh, I hope they continue that with a, with another win over the, the Red Raiders this weekend. For sure. So <clears throat> on the national scene, as it might impact the frogs this coming weekend, uh, not a whole lot of major intrigue. Uh, six of the top 12 teams are at least 16-point favorites. So really, you're if there's some major shakeup at the top of the rankings, um, it's going to take something of a, a, a real shock, one, one of the biggest upsets of the season or, you know, of all time. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think we need to talk about any of those. Those are all... Uh, so Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee, UCLA, and USC are all massive favorites. All of those are at home except for Georgia on the road at Mississippi State. Uh, so maybe Mike Leach has something tricky up his sleeve, but I doubt it after uh, his kind of performance of late. Um, so the rest of the interesting games from that, that could prove important nationally. So... Uh, Washington, number 25 now, jumped up into the rankings. Washington at Oregon. Ducks are 13.5-point favorite. I think that's too many points. I think probably Oregon can win this game. But Washington has a really strong offense. Uh, Michael Penix and those receivers are really scoring a lot of points. They're one of the, the top passing offenses in the country. Um, I think they can make this a little trickier than it should be for the Ducks. Maybe they pull off the upset. I wouldn't predict that, but I think I think it's going to be a close, uh, fun game down to the wire. Yeah, I'll take Oregon to win this game, but I will say that as a whole, the, the Pac-12 seems to be playing better football than it has in years past. Typically, you have one or two teams in the top 25 or just one team that's kind of near the top, possibly vying for a spot in the college football playoff. And it's usually been Oregon in the past, but between Oregon and UCLA and USC and Utah, now Washington being in the top 25, Oregon State was recently in the top 25. There's some better football being played in the Pac-12 this season for sure. I think you can argue that uh, the Pac-12 might even be better than the ACC or some of those middle lower tier Big Ten teams, but uh, I'll take Oregon to to win this game. And one funny note, I guess I'll mention is uh, now that the rankings have shifted around a little bit toward the top and TCU does get moved up to number four, Tennessee's number five. Now people are realizing that USC is number eight 
And UCLA, I believe, is number 12, despite the fact that UCLA beat Utah by about two touchdowns and Utah beat USC. Uh, how that works out, I don't know. I believe Utah or uh, UCLA also beat Washington. USC has played zero. I'm going to show the, the gif of zero from Holes. They yeah. played zero <laughs> relevant opponents this year. Uh, why they're ranked four spots ahead of UCLA, I don't know. Maybe it's because UCLA has two losses. I is it brand bias? I don't know. I just think that's it's. I think it's dumb. Yeah. No that that is uh, just bad ranking. I think that's just that is definitely one of those brand bias situations. And yeah, I mean USC doesn't have to play Oregon this season, so they get the benefit of the only way they would have to play Oregon would be in the conference championship. Um, so, which they may not even ever have to face each other. So yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. I mean, they play each other, I think next week, USC and UCLA. So they'll be able to settle it on the field. Um, that'll be a huge game. Uh, other big ones this week. So LSU coming off their big emotional win are only three point favorites at Arkansas, a team that just lost to Liberty. Uh, so that's a pretty curious line there. Uh, probably an indication that uh, this one is going to be a lot more difficult than than maybe Tiger fans are willing to admit. Um, I'm not going to project a loss for for LSU. I think they're they're obviously playing at a very high level. Arkansas's not. So uh, yeah, give me the Tigers. Yeah, possible Alabama hangover. Vegas is probably, and it's fitting that Vegas thinks there might be a hangover involved, that Alabama hangover yes. for the Tigers. But uh, Jaden Daniels looked really good in that game and made some huge plays down the stretch, obviously scoring the the touchdown in overtime and then making the throw to the tight end, Foster, I believe. His name was Mason Foster. Uh, a play reminiscent, you brought up 2014, uh, reminiscent of Deshaun Watson to Hunter Renfro for the national championship against Alabama. I know Renfro is obviously yes. a wide receiver, but uh, a similar play, uh, also a la TCU to uh, Josh Boyce against Josh Rutgers. Boyce. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a just a, a popular and Boise State. Yeah, that's a, that seems like a popular two point conversion play call. You see it in the NFL. You see it in college. You roll the quarterback out. He's looking for the pylon. Uh, just, I guess the, the angles and being able to, put it's too tough throw, to stop. Yeah. You got, you get out quickly. Uh, the, the defense having to cover in, in a, in a short field man situation, really difficult to get out there. But, uh, anyways, I, I'm taking LSU to win this game. Um, proving that they are not overrated as we may have thought. All right. And then, uh, we've also got. Alabama, 12-point favorites at Ole Miss. Um, is is the Alabama dynasty dead? Is it all over? Uh, you know, we do this every time after Alabama loses. Um, and, you know, that that Ole Miss team is really strong. But I, I'm, you know, nobody made any money really picking against Alabama. So yeah, I, I'm going to continue to think that the Crimson Tide will bounce back and, and take a win here. Um, in Oxford. I'm going to go with Ole Miss just because I'm going to be really happy to see Nick Saban 
off the sidelines after this year. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I, Nick Saban is a legend in college football. Uh, for everything. He's too he, good. He, yeah. Let, spread the wealth. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I feel like we're, we're still kind of waiting on that huge Zach Evans game for Ole Miss. And maybe it's because they kind of spread the wealth a little bit. They have Judkins, they have Bentley and Evans, but uh, I could see this game being a high scoring affair, but the, the Crimson Tide just don't have the kind of talent that they've had in years past. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, of course, you have a couple standouts. Bryce Young, I felt, did everything he could in the LSU game to try and will that team to a, a win, making some uh, throws and escaping out of the pocket where you just you feel like there's no way he can get out of there. And he finds a way to get out of there and finds a way to make plays. Uh, I think he'll do everything he can again in this game to keep the tight in it. But uh, I'm running with the Rebels in this one. Nice. All right. The the last one of note nationally is uh, Louisville Cardinals travel to Clemson. Clemson's a seven point favorite. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying that the Tigers are like fully eliminated with their loss to to Notre Dame. You know, I I don't know. They can still run the table and and be a one loss ACC champion for whatever that's worth. Um, but I think there's a there's a chance Louisville goes in there and takes this game. Um, you know, Malik Cunningham is is a dynamic quarterback. Um, and if Clemson can't figure out their quarterback situation, and if they can't, <clears throat> if those quarterbacks can't get it done against this Louisville defense, uh, they're, they're in big, big trouble. So, um, I'm, I'm thinking this is the upset spot here. So, so give me the Cardinals over the Tigers. I have not watched a ounce of Louisville football this year, but what I will say <laughs> is just watching the Notre Dame game. I mean, Drew Pine was like a bus driver in that game. He's just driving the bus while all the kids in the back, all the skilled players are are having all the fun. I mean, I think there was a stretch later in the game where Notre Dame ran the ball probably nine times in a row with three different running backs, and they were just picking up chunks and chunks and chunks of yards, just jamming the football down their throats and burning that clock off and quarterback has been a problem for for Clemson all season they just haven't gotten consistent high level play out of DJ Uyagalele and then the freshman behind him has made some mistakes as well so they've put a lot on Will Shipley's shoulders he's had some good games this year he's been probably their best player on the offensive end but Clemson's overrated as heck man I mean I, I I hope they continue to lose just to to shame the the committee for having them so high to begin with and to keep them in the top 10, honestly, after, after the way they got beat down. I mean, Drew Pine, I don't think he had what 80 yards, 90 yards passing in that game. And it just give me Louisville. Give me Louisville. Great. All right. So that's all for football this week. We're over an hour, but there's, there's a couple other big things that we just have to speak to this week. So first is TCU women's soccer. Um, won in the Big 12 semifinals, fell in overtime to West Virginia in the Big 12 finals, so they were unable to get that trophy uh, in back-to-back seasons. A uh, real heartbreaker of a game, you know, in, in 
first overtime, just a few minutes in, West Virginia has a free kick from deep in its own defensive zone and just sends the, the West Virginia defender sends a deep ball. Yeah, I don't know, 70 yards, just a, a, a super long kick. Uh, it bounces in front of TCU goalkeeper Lauren Collette and bounces over her into the goal. Um, and TCU was unable to score in, in the rest of the overtime periods. And West Virginia takes that win. But all is not lost for the Frogs as they are five seed um, in the 64-team NCAA tournament. Um, so they will be there in the, the Notre Dame region. But get a home game this Friday night, uh, 7 p.m. at Garvey Rosenthal's uh, in their opening game of the NCAA tournament against uh, UT San Antonio. So come see the Frogs take on the Roadrunners and continue their pursuit of the College Cup. Go see the game. Uh, Tickets are super reasonable. I think it's like $10 for adults. So get yourself out there. Go enjoy an awesome TCU sports atmosphere and cheer on the Frogs in the postseason. The other thing that we, we have to touch on is the TCU basketball team. Open their season at home against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, TCU was 35, 36 and a half point favorites. One of the highest favorites in the, in the first few, uh, few games of the season. Arkansas Pine Bluff in, in the Ken Palm rankings. One of the worst teams in the country. Uh, bottom 10 out of, you know, 360. Um, TCU was down 29 to 9 in this game, a 20 point deficit in the first half. TCU was playing, um, frankly, horrific basketball, uh, through much of this game. Um, you know, I, I was, I was in the building. I don't know, Russ, if you were able to watch much of this. TCU did walk away with the one point win at 73 72 at the end, and it was, uh, uh, it was almost a heart stopper because uh, the Golden Lions had a shot at the buzzer that was, you know, from just outside the paint. A very good look at the basket that just wasn't able to fall. Uh, so almost a disaster to start this season that, um, you know, we, we entered in with a lot of promise. Yeah, and the first thing that stood out right away was no Damian Baugh. Uh, again, Frogs are kind of at the mercy of the NCAA with the whole appeal of his suspension. But like you said, just frankly trash basketball from from TCU in this game. And for a team that is coming in with not a lot of perimeter shooting, and the Frogs didn't really shoot the ball well from the perimeter last season, uh, Shahada Wells started in place of Damian Baugh, and he's going to need to be a key player for TCU, at least over this early part of the season or until they get some kind of clarity with the Damian Boss suspension. He he struggled in this game, didn't do a whole lot. They got essentially no offense from the bench. Jacoby Coles, I want to say he missed every field goal attempt he took. Uh, Eddie Lampkin was very quiet in this game, only had two points, I believe. They really leaned on Emmanuel Miller and Mike Miles and uh, to Miller's credit, I think he hit a, a three-pointer or two, and maybe that's something he's adding to his game because he wasn't much of a three-point shooter last season. But outside of O'Bannon and Miles, they're going to need some guys to knock down shots, uh, whether it's Coles or uh, Wells or P. 
PV. I know PV is not really much of a scorer, but it it's going to be a struggle for this team to get into the 60s and 70s consistently if they shoot the ball from range the way they did in this game. And you get a win however you can, I guess, at this point of the season. But uh, God, at least at least we're not Oklahoma. We could have lost to Sam Houston. At least we avoided yes. that fate. Could it could be worse? And and yeah, the the offensive movement was sluggish. It didn't seem like there was was much going on. Um, you mentioned Eddie Lampkin. I think he he touched the ball on offensive plays like four times all game. All of them turned into great plays. I mean, he had a couple of distributions out of the post that were were really nice that led to buckets. Um, he had a really great. Um, dunk for an and one down in the post he missed the free throw but still um and and actually free throw shooting certainly was a struggle for tcu last season um somewhat better here shot over 70 percent but um score i think it was 27 of 35 something like that uh got to the line a whole bunch um really picked up a lot of fouls in that first half uh that that helped keep that uh, bring that 20 point deficit back within range before halftime um and yeah Iman Miller was was really fantastic Mike Miles was fine um but big time players make big time big time plays and and he hit that 3 uh, to give the Frogs their first lead right there, uh, you know, just under a minute left to play. And uh, it was a it was a massive moment. Uh, Shaw Meyer went crazy. Um, he was celebrating. It was it, it felt like, all right, maybe maybe they're here now. Now the team that we saw at the end of last season has arrived. Um, but still. uh Chuck O'Bannon missed the front end of a one oh one, uh one and one at the free throws at the end of the game where uh you know TCU's up a point and it could have been up three if he hits both free throws. Instead he misses it. They take it down the length of the court and get a good shot and um just kind of lucky that that it missed, to be honest. And and so uh happy with the win. TCU has Lamar on Friday night also. So, you know, if if you don't find yourself at Garvey Rosenthal, head over to Schollmeyer and, and watch the basketball team. Um, I don't think you'll be able to catch both. I think they are happening simultaneously. So uh, take your pick there. But um, hopefully better days ahead for TCU men's basketball. TCU women's basketball defeated Lipscomb. Uh, so that's good. Uh, we got some official signing news um, across baseball and basketball. So um, kind of the big news out of that is that TCU did formally get uh, signed letters of intent from Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning, uh, the the big recruits for TCU men's basketball. Posey, a, a four-star small forward. Um, top 100 recruit, number 76 overall, and Manning, a, a three-star, big power forward, 6'7", uh, here from Mansfield. Um, so good news, at least on the recruiting front. And women's basketball, their their recruiting class looks 
maybe the best that that TCU women's basketball has ever had. Uh, two four star prospects. Um, Victoria Flores is a top top eighty top. 50 in some places, um, kind of a superstar point guard at Duncanville. So uh, exciting times for the future of TCU sports there. And I don't know anything else on, on the basketball stuff. I think it's just we're, we're happy to get a win, and there's a lot of kinks to work out for this, this squad. Yeah, and I think the, the defense at the start of that game against Pine Bluff was real discouraging with, with how many threes. It was like a three parade. Uh, it was, they could not they, miss. They could not miss. And, and miss. to their credit, they did hit some contested shots. But uh, the defense is going to need to tighten up considerably. And then offensively, my biggest question is, who's going to take on that lead guard point role for TCU with Damian Baugh out? Uh, to, to Mike Miles' credit, you know, he's a really good player, preseason uh, Big 12 player of the year. But he's more of a two guard. He's more of a scorer. He's not much of a facilitator and Shahada Wells didn't play last year with an injury transferred in from UT Arlington. You look at his numbers from UTA. He was more of a scorer there as well and not as much of a distributor. Um, PJ Haggerty, the three-star recruit, the freshman didn't play in this game. Micah Peavy is more of a combo wing can defend cut to the basket a little bit, but that's, that's a question mark for me is who, Who's going to really run the offense and be a, a primary facilitator? And, you know, that could even be a reason why Eddie Lampkin didn't get a whole lot of touches. And in college basketball, you got to manufacture ways to get the big guys involved and you, you got to get them the ball. It's not just about sitting down on the block. You got to have a guard who can get them the ball in different spots. And that's what Damian Baugh can do. And they don't have him right now. So. Uh, that'll be interesting to see maybe Mike Miles takes kind of a backseat scoring wise and they ask him to be more of a distributor. Maybe they get some other guys involved, but, uh, something to definitely keep an eye on and see how the frogs adjust as they go into the next game. Yeah. Ball is, has elite court vision and, and his distribution is, um, sorely missed and you know i think we we harped on how good he is at that but you really don't even understand how good he is until he's not there um and you see how that offense works when he when he's not around and and we really don't know anything about this suspension when it's going to end if it's going to end what's going to happen next um you know I, i i hope it gets settled in expeditious fashion so that ball can get back on the court for the frogs. And, um, you know, I, we'll just have to, to see how it plays out. We know that things with the NCAA are never seem fair or make any sense whatsoever. So who knows how that'll, how that'll work. All right. I think that we have gone, we've gone long. We appreciate everybody sticking with us. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this show um, lots to talk about. Uh, maybe in the future we split things up across maybe some different shows. We'll see it. We'll see how this works going forward. Um, with the, the big, uh, football and basketball seasons going simultaneous here for a little while. Um, but of course, thank you guys all for listening. Thank you for following us 
on frogsofwar.com, on Twitter at Frogs of War. Um, catch us on YouTube, Facebook, everywhere you get podcasts and content about TCU sports. Um, let us let us know what you think, what you want to hear. Uh, we love hearing from you all. And, and that's all I got. I've got to go Frogs. Yep. Horn Frog Nation. Let's ride. <laughs> Let's ride. Go Frogs. <laughs>